Hello, I'm Noel Lim on Asia Speaks by Maybank Investment Banking Group. We unpack the headlines moving markets. Will there be a taper tantrum? Who are the Indochina beneficiaries of supply chain disruptions? Is the US dollar going to strengthen further? Will digital banks majorly disrupt traditional players in Malaysia? What are the implications of Indonesia's palm oil export ban? Vincent Poon, Head of Fixed Income Research, moderates the conversation. Hi, good morning everyone. It's 8 o'clock on Monday. A quick recap for last week. The US Fed Reserve raised interest rate by 50 BIP, which is the biggest increase at a meeting in more than 20 years since 2000. In addition to rate hike, the FOMC also announced that it will start reducing the size of its balance sheet from June. On the equity market, the Euro stocks 50 and Hang Seng indices both down by about 5%. The S&P 500 held up better, only down by 0.2%, but the Nasdaq index fell 1.5% due to tech sell-off. In ASEAN, the equity indices of Malaysia, Singapore, and Thailand fell by about 2%. Indonesia market was closed for the week. On fixed income, global bond sell-off continued. There was no sign of abating. The 10-year developed market government bond yields jumped 10 to 30 bit last week. Asia FX all weakened further against the US dollar, led by losses in North Asian currencies like Korea won, renminbi, and the Japanese yen, and we have Andy later to comment on this. In short, it was almost a sea of red across key asset classes, selling equities, selling bonds, selling Asia FX, and there seemed to be some, a little bit of signs of flight to cash. Obviously, the cash in US dollar, the US money market has been flush with excess liquidity, and after the Fed rate hike last Wednesday, more cash moved to the repo market. For example, the total amount placed at the Fed Reserve overnight report facility increased to 1.86 trillion, just slightly below record high. In addition to the US FOMC, a few other major central banks also raised interest rate. Australia's RBA, 25 BIP, India's RBI, 40 BIP, and the UK's Bank of England, 25 BIP. Uh, India's rate hike was a bit of a hawkish surprise because it came unexpectedly at an unscheduled meeting. Uh, but the UK Bank of England uh, was seen to be uh, a dovish hike because um, the central bank warned of recession risk. On the US labor market, non-farm payrolls added 428,000 jobs in April, slightly larger than expected. Unemployment rate was unchanged at 3.6%, but wage growth remained strong at 5.5% year on year. On energy prices, Brent crude increased 5% last week to $112 per barrel as the European Union plans to ban Russian crude oil in six months and refine products by the end of 2022. But interest, interestingly, Russian ruble continued to strengthen, rising to a two-year high against the US dollar at level even stronger than before the start of the Ukraine war in March because the Russian measures on capital controls and demanding payment for gas in rubles appear to be working for now, despite the sanctions. And China, uh, China COVID situations, daily new infections have fallen recently, but COVID restrictions remain tight and has weighed heavily on the economy. The Chaising PMI index fell to 37.2 in April, the lowest reading since February 2020. And Premier Li Keqiang won of a challenging employment situation in China because the unemployment rate deteriorated further to 5.8% in March. And looking ahead uh, this week, there are a few key events to watch out for. On Monday, we have the Philippines elections, Indonesia's CPI and GDP. On Wednesday, we have Bank of Malaysia's uh, MPC meeting and also the US CPI number. 
while on Friday we have a Malaysia first quarter GDP. This morning we have uh, Habin on a thematic report for ASEAN X, Brian on CLMV and Vietnam economics, Andy on FX, Anand on ASEAN equity market, Tillon on Singapore banks, Desmond on Malaysia digital bank license and cheating on plantation. Let's start with uh, Habin, uh, ASEAN economics. Habin, you have a report um, about um, the reopening tailwind and um, external rising external global headwinds. COVID restrictions, as we know, have eased significantly in ASEAN countries. Cross-border travels are rising. Uh, things are looking up, but I think you also mentioned there are growing headwinds uh, in the external environment, like the geopolitics, um, the US rate tightening, and China lockdown. What are your thoughts on this, and what is the outlook for the rest of uh, 2022 for ASEAN? Hey, I'm Mona Vincent. So the ASEAN markets have uh, outperformed uh, with this uh, reopening theme that's uh, driven recovery you know, since the start of the year. Uh, markets like uh, Indonesia and Singapore has led the rally and really uh, it's really um, especially uh, valuable outperformance against markets that have tanked, including China, you know, US and Europe. So reopening has been lifting growth in the first half, but I think crosswinds are threatening to douse this momentum by the second half. ASEAN has relaxed border controls after two long years of periodic lockdowns. Mobility indices have largely returned to pre-pandemic levels. Vaccinated travelers can now enter without quarantine all ASEAN six countries. And laggard sectors, particularly tourism, will catch up and support the recovery for the rest of the year. Uh, but China's zero COVID strategy and stricter restrictions in some Northeast Asian countries, Japan, Hong Kong, Taiwan, could cap the upswing. Open borders, I remember, can also cut both ways. More Singaporeans traveling abroad can actually reduce domestic spending at home. Uh, on the back of this, rising commodity prices has also uh, and also really supported commodity exporters in Niger, gas, nickel, palm oil, coal prices, and Malaysia sure. as well. Uh, but it's hurting the rest. Uh, but global headwinds are emerging because of Russia-Ukraine war, China's lockdowns, and global monetary tightening, which may roll the reopening tailwind and douse the recovery. We highlight three major shocks, the inflation shock, the impending interest rate shock, and potential recession shock will undercut ASEAN's recovery. I think for the rest of this year, next year. So what are you looking at? ASEAN 6 GDP forecast um, expanding by 4.9% in uh, this year. That's down from the 5.4 at the start of the year, but risk remains on the downside. So again, three, you know, three shocks to look out for really is inflation shock, uh, which is happening. Actually, inflation has been pretty low in ASEAN, but it's partly because of the few subsidies and the delayed recovery, or delayed reopening. Uh, but now, you know, Thailand is going to taper its diesel subsidy India plans to raise fuel and LPG prices, electricity tariffs. Malaysia could be planning a more targeted fuel subsidies. So we are looking for the inflation to pick up um, quite a bit into the second half. The second interest rate shock, uh, the Fed just hiked, Fed funds rate 1%, but really the futures market is looking about 3% by the end of this year and 3.3% uh, of next year. That's pretty steep. And only the MS has tightened the ASEAN, no other central banks have moved. And I think uh, there is some risk that rising interest rates may spark capital outflows and pressure some ASEAN currencies forcing ASEAN central banks to tighten despite the nascent recovery. BSP has already signaled a probable hike in June, uh, so that's something to look out for. And third is a recession shock. Yeah, that's I think won't materialize this year, but there is a risk from Europe because of the Ukraine-Russian war, China hard landing because of extended lockdowns, and a recent US recession, I think in 2023 or 2024, if the Fed is overzealous in battling inflation. Uh, we replicate the Fed's uh, recession model based on the US three-month, 10-year yield spread, so only about uh, 6% probability recession in Singapore, 5% in Malaysia. The New York Fed model itself is only about 4%. Uh, 
but I think those odds will rise as the Fed hikes. Um, to me, a Fed funds rate above 3.5% will likely tip the US into recession alongside some of the trade-dependent ASEAN economies. Do you expect rising US interest rate to cause major capital outflows like a bit of um, taper tantrum from regional countries? We don't think a repeat of the 2013 taper tantrums uh, in the sense of the equity sell-off as well as the currency sell-off is likely. Remember in 2013, it was a very much ASEAN-specific sp event, you know, and uh, ASEAN really tanked relative to the rest of the world. This time, uh, you know, the foreign exchange reserves position is larger. The foreign investor positions is much lower. You know, money went to China and tech instead. And really, when you track some of the ASEAN currencies on a trade-weighted basis, yes, they've, you know, slid slightly against the dollar, but actually on trade weighted, they've done very well against the yen, euro, and now even the renminbi, right? So actually ASEAN currencies are holding up pretty well. So there will be some pressure, but I don't think it'll be uh, as bad. And also it depends on how fast ASEAN central banks choose to uh, respond. Okay, um, thanks, Hakmin. And um, we'll move to uh, Brian on CRMV economics and uh, Vietnam. Uh, Brian? Uh, for CLMV in general, are we seeing a strong recovery from the impact of COVID? And what is the outlook for the rest of um, 2022? Uh, uh, amid the headwinds mentioned by Habin just now, how significant do you think like the Ukraine-Russia war and also China lockdown, what is the impact on uh, CLMV uh, economies? Yeah, uh, morning, Vincent. Uh, yeah, so we forecast CRMV, uh, Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar, and Vietnam as a whole to grow at 4.6% this year, uh, recovering from uh, last year's 1% uh, contraction. The recovery will be the strongest for Vietnam at 5.8% uh, real GDP growth and Cambodia at 4.8%, uh, supported by reopening-induced rebound in private consumption and uh, foreign direct investment. Foreign tourist arrivals have grown strongly since uh, Vietnam and Cambodia reopened their borders. Uh, though absence of China tourists, which accounted for around one third of visitor arrivals pre-pandemic, will constrain the uh, recovery of the tourism sectors. On the flip side, um, prospects are the bleakest for Myanmar. The economy is uh, expected to stagnate due to commodity price pressures, supply chain disruptions, and civil conflict. The Russia-Ukraine war and China lockdowns will inflict considerable collateral damage and dampen the CRMV countries' uh, recoveries. We have, uh, in fact, downgraded CRMV GDP growth for the year by 0.9 percentage point uh, since, uh, since, the, since the start of the year due to these uh, global headwinds. War and sanctions will hurt CRMV via weaker EU growth, uh, a major export market for all of the CRMV countries. Surging fuel and food prices uh, will fan inflation, dampen household consumption, and erode business earnings. China lockdowns will disrupt CRMV production through shortages and delivery delays of Chinese components. China is, uh, in fact, CRMV's largest import source, accounting for around 30% of imports of each country. Uh, China's slow growth will also reduce demand for imports from CRMV, which would have a significant impact given their close link trade linkages with China. Vietnam and Laos have the second and third highest exposure in ASEAN to China final demand, uh, standing at around 9% of GDP. Which countries do you think will benefit the most from the supply chain uh, disruptions among the CRMV? Yeah. 
so um, yeah, basically um, uh, on the topic of uh, supply chain diversification, uh, so um, geopolitical tensions and supply chain disruptions have underscored the need for MNCs to diversify manufacturing away from China. Uh, so um, all of the LNV countries uh, tend to benefit uh, from uh, supply chain shifts from China due to their geographical proximity and lower labor costs, uh, but the pie will not be equally distributed. Uh, Vietnam, followed by Cambodia, are positioned to attract the most FDI from MNCs, uh, diversifying manufacturing away from China. This is due to their comparatively robust economic prospects and favorable business environments. Factors such as the ease of doing business, comprehensive bilateral and multilateral FDA networks, active pro-investment reform efforts, and better infrastructure, as well as uh, human capital advantages that will attract foreign investment. Given its lower labor costs compared to Vietnam, Cambodia is more well-placed to attract uh, more labor-intensive investments uh, like garment and footwear manufacturing, while Vietnam might attract activities higher up the value chain such as uh, electronics, electrical and automotive components. Uh, in short, do these CMB countries face high inflation problem? <clears throat> yeah, uh, yeah, on inflation, uh, so CMB inflation is projected to rise to 5% this year. Uh, from around 2% in 2021 as a 3 percentage point increase driven by uh, high food and energy costs, supply chain disruptions, and also reopening. Uh, CRMV are net oil and coal importers and thus at the mercy of surging global uh, commodity prices. Uh, moreover, food, transport, and utilities account for larger weights in the CPI baskets of CRMV compared to the rest of ASEAN. This will increase the sensitivity of overall uh, headline inflation to these components. Headline inflation is expected to be highest to the tune of between 7 and 9% in Laos and Myanmar this year uh, because steep currency depreciation will exacerbate imported inflation. Uh, in fact, Laos inflation accelerated to nearly 10% in April from 8.5% uh, in March due to uh, higher fuel prices and continuing depreciation of the Laos kit. Brian, you also have a report on Vietnam economics, the update. Could you share briefly the key takeaways? Sure. So uh, Vietnam's uh, April economic data, which was released uh, on the 29th of April, remained uh, resilient. Uh, reopening and uh, warning, uh, waning Omicron wave boosted industrial production, trade, tourist arrivals, and FDI. Industrial production growth accelerated to nearly 10% led by broad-based pickup in manufacturing output due to declining COVID-19 infections among factory workers. Trade balance remained in surplus as exports growth picked up to 25%, while imports growth uh, came in at 15%. Foreign visitors' arrivals expanded nearly 3.5 times from March uh, since uh, Vietnam reopened its borders in mid-March. Uh, disbursed FDI rose 7.6%, year-on-year year in the first four months of this year, while manufacturing FDI registrations jumped 19.2%. Headline inflation rose slightly to 2.6% in April from 2.4% in March, primarily driven by housing and construction inflation uh, on higher input costs of gas, steel, and cement due to the Russia-Ukraine war. We maintain our growth and inflation forecasts for Vietnam at 5.8%, 
for GDP growth and 4% for headline inflation uh, for this year, considering that the Russia-Ukraine war and lockdowns across China remain formidable headwinds that are likely to impact economic activity for months to come. Okay, thanks, uh, Brian. We'll move to FX. We have Andy. Um, Andy, the DXY index has increased quite sharply to more than 103 from about 95 at the beginning of the year. Um, rising US rates looks like a beginning to wave on Asia effects. Uh, Japanese yen is down by more than 10% year to date. Korea won, Taiwanese dollar down by about 7% year to date. And even the typically more stable renminbi has come under pressure recently. What is your take on this? Are we going to see more dollar strength? Good morning, uh, Winston, everyone. Um, the indeed we actually revise our dollar index forecast for um, the next two three quarters uh, on on uh, on average by about five six seven percent uh, on the back that uh, we think that dollar is likely to remain supported uh, largely uh, essentially on the back of the protracted russia ukraine geopolitical situation first i think the expectations of that tighter fed policy move that we saw before was already priced in to some extent but i think the recent global growth concerns uh, intensifying um, and with the China COVID-related lockdowns and with the recent uh, sharp down, downward currency adjustments in uh, Rumbi sensitive currencies, all that added to uh, dollar support to be there. But in, uh, in our view, I think some risk of that peaking by mid-2022, which we had uh, in some ways built in earlier, we think it's going to be delayed slightly, though it would be extended uh, somewhat to third quarter of this year. Uh, Vincent? Uh, Andy, ASEAN FX in general have outperformed North Asia, um, even though like the rupiah and the ringgit are weaker year to date, but they are still stronger than the North Asian currencies. Do you think this will continue? Can you also share the forecast uh, for regional uh, FX, especially for the dollar CMY and dollar ASEAN CAS? Yeah, it, so I think for ASEAN FX in the past, typically... Uh, so the, the, the Asian currencies tend to move uh, in some ways after the Fed and then strengthen back up. But this time around, I think there are a few other things that are happening at the same time. Our view in the near term, uh, risk would be skewed to the upside, like I mentioned just now, broad dollar for a bit longer. So our forecast for currencies uh, in the Western ones, like the Euro, Yen, um, but in the regional currencies, we have actually revised it actually also lower due to a confluence of uh, a few factors, like what I mentioned just now. But one of the key ones, is on China. The, the, it's, uh, renminbi will be sensitive to news of lockdowns in the near term uh, if that continues because of it sticking to the zero COVID. So the path of least resistance could, be, could remain to the downside. Uh, I think in some ways, as China sticks to this, uh, to their targeted policy supports and um, little moderation to restrictive uh, COVID measures. But if they do moderate it somewhat or only very gradually, or officials step out a bit more on growth prospects, I think you could see some of the aggressive uh, CNY declines uh, be kept on check. So we have revised our dollar CNY forecast uh, higher. Uh, if you see our old forecast, it's actually around the 660 levels. So we've actually revised it close to about 25 cents up towards 685 uh, for this quarter and actually end this year at about 674. So uh, higher by about almost 20, 25 cents higher and we expect the pair to end the year around those levels. So our assumptions are for growth to bottom out in second quarter, bulk of major lockdowns to be within the quarter for now, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, we revise also across the board on that basis, uh, just on the renminbi side as well, revisions 
and the dollar support, uh, Sing dollar, we're revising Sing dollar upwards uh, to 139 for this quarter and end the year at about uh, 137. Uh, similarly, because of the drive of on the RMB side as in close correlation with CNY, um, on the Thai baht and IDR side, IDR, uh, we adjusted high to take into account some of the risk factors, but also we look for a net gradual idea recovery actually uh, alongside some domestic economic activity gaining traction, I think easing of export restrictions, uh, potential moderation in China actually lends some support to risk sentiments, but, um, uh, but, but we actually still need to revise the rupiah. So rupiah, we're revising it up to 14.6 for this quarter and the year about 14.300 peso. And they are about 52. We're still positive to some extent on the peso front, although there's some volatility on the elections front, uh, but there could be um, uh, some resilience on the back of more domestic-oriented nature of the uh, Philippines economy. Thai baht, I think, remains on drag uh, because of what's happening out of China uh, in terms of China tourists coming to Thailand being impacted somewhat. Uh, but I think it could eventually... Uh, see some um, upward pressures on dollar Thai, but if the strong dollar it, it continues to be there. Uh, but I think the recent bearish moves in oil, uh, if it continues, I think could be helped uh, to help to somewhat as well. Uh, as well. So Thai baht, we're actually revising to end the year at about 3390. Uh, this quarter, we're rising up to 3460. IDR 14300 end of the year, peso end the year at 52. And on the ringgit, uh, we also revise it higher to uh, towards 440. Uh, from current or previously 420 and yeah, about 430. Vincent? Okay, uh, thanks, Andy. Uh, we'll move to Anand. Anand, you have a piece on ASEAN fortnightly, um, the equity market. Can you share how have ASEAN equities performed so far and what are the key developments recently in this market? Sure. Hi, good morning, Vincent, and uh, good morning, everyone. So, you know, ASEAN equities have had a pretty good year to date. Uh, they have been outperforming uh, most uh, global benchmarks, uh, as well as North Asia. And you can see from figure two here, they continue to do that into the second quarter as well. Uh, and, you know, there are really three reasons that are driving uh, this relative outperformance. You know, one is the switch into value. You know, we've always said ASEAN, not great for new economy or growth stocks, but loads of value in ASEAN in terms of both valuations and the types of businesses that are listed on the exchanges, you know, very uh, old economy businesses. And those are now in fashion as uh, investors look for havens uh, from the sell down in, uh, in growth stocks. So a lot of money coming into ASEAN. So of the three markets uh, where we're seeing a lot of foreign inflows, Indonesia, Malaysia uh, in particular, uh, as well as Thailand, have seen uh, some strong net inflows here to date. The second and third reasons, Reopening, you know, ASEAN is reopening in a big way, uh, and that's also uh, causing a lot of optimism for reopening plays. Uh, and the third reason is commodities. Yeah, so a lot of commodities exposure, especially in Indonesia and Malaysia, uh, through oil and gas and CPO. So those three things really are combining to keep uh, prospects for the regional benchmarks quite positive into the second quarter. Uh, Anand, which ASEAN market do you expect um, to have the most upside in 2022 and why? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw it, but it was an article in Bloomberg over the weekend asking fund managers the exact same question. Uh, and the consensus was it would be Indonesia because of the commodities exposure uh, and also the reopening play, you know, all the usual uh, things about Indonesia's growth prospect, you know, underbanked, uh, lots of consumer demand rebounding. And the other two markets were Singapore because of the big financials waiting in the index, which will benefit from rising interest rates. 
And the third was Vietnam. Vietnam is interesting to us. If you look at the performance uh, chart, you know, it's down 9% month on month due to a regulatory crackdown, which obviously will, will not last forever. So a great buying opportunity. So those are the three markets that, uh, you know, the, fund, the buy side appears to, to favor. If you look at what our heads of research are saying uh, in figure three, you can see the markets with the biggest upsides here are Vietnam, yes. Uh, also the Philippines, which has been a, a, a laggard of sorts because of extended COVID lockdowns, as well as the uh, elections, which should be resolved uh, you know, this week. Uh, so those two markets may be interesting for you to, to bottom fish in. Uh, and of course, Singapore uh, is the third one where we, we like a lot. Okay, thanks, Anand. Uh, we'll move to Thailand. Thailand Singapore banks released the result last week. What are the key takeaways? Any surprise? Yeah, morning, Vincent. Uh, so banks were largely in line with earnings, except for UOB, who actually saw a big decline in their trading income. Uh, we saw a non-interest income weaker this quarter, uh, partly from a softening of the wealth management part, which has actually done most of the heavy lifting for the past two years. Um, I think there's a... Uh, you know, some constraint there as clients are sitting in the sidelines given all the macro conditions at the moment. On the other hand, net interest income uh, actually started to see a very strong turnaround. Loan growth was up eight to nine percent year on year uh, for the quarter, which uh, which also so, which also kind of points to the underlying recovery within ASEAN, as well as uh, we were quite surprised to see quite strong numbers coming from China and Hong Kong as well. Uh, we also saw NIMS growing quite, quite, uh, quite nicely as well. We saw the first turnaround in about four quarters. And with the expectation that the, head, uh, the Fed is going to keep hiking uh, over the next few months, uh, we should see that as a very, fairly strong uh, tailwind for NIMS to continue to increase, particularly into the second half as well as 2023. Uh, finally, the asset quality held up better than what we expected. Uh, provisions keep coming off. Uh, but we do expect limited uh, general provision write-backs going forward, uh, especially as the banks kind of take a bit of a cautious uh, outlook, uh, given where the world is at this point. Vincent? Um, thanks, uh, Tilan. Uh, we'll move to uh, Desmond on Malaysia banks. Um, BNM awarded five digital banking licenses recently. Can you run us through who are the winners from the license award and any idea when can we expect these digital banks to start operation? Yeah, morning all. So Bank Negara has awarded uh, five digital licenses in total, and they comprise three conventional digital banking licenses and two Islamic ones. The three conventional digital banking licenses have gone to, firstly, the Boost uh, RHB partnership. Secondly, GXS Bank, which is the Grab Singtel partnership along with the Quark brothers. And thirdly, C Limited, which is the parent company of Shopee and YTL Digital. The two Islamic digital licenses have gone to Aeon Financial Services and Aeon Credit Services along with Money Lion. And secondly, the CAF Investment Bank Consortium, which essentially comprises CAF Investment Bank and fintechs such as MoneyMatch, Kasim, and Jinmekshi. The digital banks are expected to undergo a period of operational readiness, which will be validated by Bank Negara. This process is expected to take between 12 to 24 months so the general indications are that the digital banks themselves should commence operations from the second half of 2023 onwards. How do you think how, how do you think this will affect the banking landscape in Malaysia? Because some license winners like Grab and C, uh, part of the consortiums, are known to be digital disruptors in the sectors they are currently they are currently operating. Will this pose challenge to the existing banking players? 
Yeah, so generally, I don't expect the banks to be meaningful disruptors in the banking space, especially since the conventional banks themselves are ramping up their own digital product offerings. I think in the short term, we may see more aggressive deposit competition, which would benefit consumers. But this is unlikely to uh, be sustained over the longer term, actually. I think the one thing to bear in mind is that the primary objective of a digital bank is to cater to the underserved or unbanked population in Malaysia. But that segment, according to Bank Negara, accounts for just about 8% of the total population, which is not large in my view. As such, I think that in the consumer space, digital banks should focus on products such as insurance, unit trusts, and on creating a virtual financial ecosystem from which they can tap into a more lucrative fee income. They should also tap into the small to mid-sized SME space in the country, uh, which would be a high, higher yielding segment for them. Uh, I think if you take a look at the product offerings of digital banks in the region, you find that the loan products are typically generic and simplistic in nature. They generally take the form of personal loans or credit cards, and these two segments in totality account for just about 10% of the banking industry's total loans. The other thing to bear in mind is that during the foundational phase of three to five years, the total asset size of the digital bank can exceed uh, 3 billion ringgit. It is also expected to hold um, high liquid, uh, uh, liquid financial assets that are equivalent to at least 25% of their total on balance sheet uh, liabilities. So these financial criteria serve to ensure that some level of financial discipline is maintained. Uh, but it does mean that you know, their pace of expansion will be uh, more controlled over the next few years, actually. Thanks, Nesman. Uh, we'll move to cheating on regional plantation. Cheating. Indonesia's flip-flop on banning the exports of crude palm oil, I guess, it was final. And what do you think is the impact on the regional plantation sector and also global exports of edible oils? Hi, morning, uh, Winston. So the Indonesian ban is uh, obviously hurting the growers and exporters. So in 2022, uh, Indonesia is estimated to have an excess supply of 30 million tons of CPO and is projected to produce 48 million tons of CPO, while domestic consumption is just uh, about 18 million tons. Half of that domestic consumption is in the form of uh, B30 barley mandate and the other half for food use. So for every month the export ban is in place, the global export of palm oil will be short by about 2.5 million tons a month, which can only be partly fulfilled by Malaysian exporters. As the key palm oil products of CPO, RPD, palm oil, and palm oilin are banned from the exported, being exported in Indonesia, one of the unintended immediate effects are the storage tanks in Indonesia will fill up very quickly and by our estimate, it will overflow in less than, uh, in probably about one to two months. And when that happens, the fruits, uh, FFB, will be left to rot on the fields as the mills will not be able to buy uh, the FFB, especially for smallholders. And uh, this will create a set of different set of social and economic problems for the president of uh, Indonesia. So we doubt Indonesia can afford to keep the ban for too long. So in the meantime, uh, we believe market forces will push the Indonesia's domestic CPO price down quickly to the subsidized cooking oil price of around 14,000 uh, rupiahs per liter. As we highlighted earlier, the losers will basically be the Indonesia growers and exporters. And hence, uh, you know, all the plantation 
uh, companies listed on the Indonesia Stock Exchange and the SGX will suffer for the duration of the export ban. And uh, basically, the winners will be the Malaysian-based growers and refiners. Uh, so pure Malaysian plays uh, include uh, Sarah All Palms, Ta'an Holdings, Bowster Plantations, and Hapsing uh, uh, Plantations. And among the large caps, IY has the least exposure to Indonesia. So that is a clear beneficiary. What is our latest Malaysia CPO price forecast? Any change? Yeah, so we are still keeping on to our uh, price forecast of 5,000 uh, ringgit per ton for this year. Uh, it is also perhaps good to be reminded that, you know, when Indonesia leaves, leaves its ban in one to two months, uh, we expect Indonesia's palm oil to flood the global market with its accumulated inventory during this ban as the industry prepares to make room for the bigger seasonal harvest in second half. So when, I have, when that happens, the international CPO price may come under some selling pressure. Thanks, Chiting. Thanks for joining the call. Have a good week ahead. For more information, speak to your trading rep, check out Market Insights on the Maybank Trade app and follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. This is Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank Investment Banking Group. <laughs>